Right, let's do this shit. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season four, episode 14, Mercy. Have mercy. <laughs> okay. Pass. Pass. We'll do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the opening scene, there's these two dudes in the bay. They're kayaking. And this guy's like, oh, my God, it's so cold. And he's like, dude, you got to practice for the big row meet in, in the summer. And he's like, but it's winter, brah. Whatever. They're rowing. But then he's like, even though it's winter, it still doesn't stop people from using the Hudson as a trash can. And I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? It was a weird transition. I know we had like to do it, but it, somebody, yeah, somebody was about to like dump a body, but they're like, it's January. <laughs> Throw it in the trash. Like what? This is in poor um, taste. This is basically wearing white after Labor Day. I'm going to go dump this body in the woods. <laughs> Black pants and a brown belt. What? <laughs> or, well, I don't know. Um, so yeah, they see a cooler floating and the lid's cracked. <laughs> Guy's like, it must've fallen off a boat. Ha ha. Maybe they left us a couple of brews. <laughs> like, shut up. <laughs> the guy opens it a little bit and he's like, oh my God. I laughed at that. <laughs> I did. I did too. Because he said it like how I would say it. If I had like, like a really good looking pizza in front of me, I'd be like, oh my God. You know what I mean? He said it exactly like Chris Farley when he was doing that whole bit about the fucking ambulance. Here comes the meat wagon. Woo, woo. There's a new guy standing over the corner. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I could think of when he said that. And also not to judge anyone's reaction on anything, but like I would have jumped out of my skin if that's what, because yeah. that's not what you expect to find in a cooler right uh-huh. oh yeah so benson and stabler are now at the docks csu officer jeff garland walks them over to the cooler and he's like there's a special place in hell for whoever did this that makes me immediately know what's in the fucking cooler right he hasn't looked in the cooler but he had heard there's a newborn inside attached to the cooler there is a grocery bag like a plastic grocery bag there must have been something heavy in there and then it broke and that's what made the cooler come to the surface of the water Mm-hmm. There's a store logo on it, so they may have a lead. Corner Warner comes over, and Benson Stabler like walk away, mm-hmm. and they start talking about what maybe happened. Yeah, it's very their interaction is two different conversations because Benson's doing police work, speculating how it was dumped in the Hudson, while Stabler's judging a mother before understanding what the situation was. Mm-hmm, you don't yeah. want your baby? There are other options. Strikes me as the wrong angle to make assumptions from because he's like, there are other options, and she's like, blink. Not for a girl that throws her newborn in a river. Right. Yeah. Corner Warner's like, hey, you guys, it's not a newborn. It's probably about a month old because the umbilical stump is gone, which to me is a <sighs> newborn. I'm sorry, like three, four weeks old is. I mean, she's what saying the fuck it is a newborn then. It's just brand spank anew out of the package. You know, isn't that what a month old is? I mean, I mean, the reason that she's pointing that out is that it, yeah, uh, it's not like two days old or anything. It's been she's like, holy shit, this baby has been fed and taken care of and probably bonded with. Holy shit. It could be a totally different angle. All right. Now we're in the Emmy office. Coroner Warner confirms that the baby was a month old. It weighed a little over eight pounds and showed no signs of abuse or neglect. The baby had been dead about a day before she was found. The cause of death is a lethal dose of tricyclic antidepressants. And then Stabler's like, well, maybe they were for postpartum. The mom had them. But Corner Warner's like, they do not prescribe nursing mothers tricyclic antidepressants. And the baby had breast milk in her stomach, which is fucking just even... Yeah. How do you... Okay, whatever. 
What do you mean? What, what, what? How do you what? I was just like, I was like, how do you, that must be, I mean, I, I know Coroner Warner is a doctor and whatever, but like, that would be so hard to like, you know, an autopsy and a little baby. So oh, you're talking, like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's like a level of, I can guarantee there's a level of compartmentalizing to be able to do that kind of job. Yeah. I mean, like talk about fucking intrusive thoughts. Sometimes you got to be laying in bed like, ugh. You know? Yeah. Benson super doesn't think that the mom did it. Yeah, because she was like, she was breastfeeding and bonding with the baby, so she wouldn't have Mm -hmm. done this. This is where we don't know what, where this is going quite yet. So I was like, I really hope they Mm -hmm. talk about the actual realities of postpartum if this is the case. Right. Because a lot of times, especially during this time, it was just like, I just think about all the moms who are just like dragged for being demons when it's like, when they did something to their kids. And it's like, oh no, she was dealing with some major fucking snap shit happening that wasn't being talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's not what's happening, so. <laughs> Corner Warner shows them some algae that was found on the cooler, and she also found some industrial cleaning solution on the baby. Mm-hmm. They have to figure out where the source of the cleaner and the algae is so they can try and locate a dump site. At the Ecological Center Laboratory, Benson and Stabler are talking to the ecologist Dr. Queen, and she was able to identify mm-hmm. the algae found on the cooler, and she was very excited about it. She was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's got a pair of tweezers and she holds up a sample of stabler and she's like it is a nutritious algae and it's fun fact used at sushi restaurants can we not ruin sushi yeah. for these guys please i know and stabler's like mm, i'll stick with burgers and fries and i'm like mm, i roll shut up mm, america mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> imagine people scraping the sides of the fucking hudson to eat some fucking <laughs> I thought you were going to say, imagine people scraping the sides of shit floating in the Hudson for burgers. (laughs) They're like barnacles, but delicious. There's just me laying on my belly with chopsticks fucking pulling out (laughs) algae. Well, so this... I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) mmm. So Dr. Queen's like, she moms him and goes, seaweed's healthier. Mm-hmm. Also, Dr. Sheila Queen is played by Karen Browning. We first met her in season one, the episode Uncivilized as Mrs. Davies. She's only this lab character in this episode, but comes back later this season as CSU Captain Judith Cyper and plays her in 41 episodes until 2011. Well, I thought she looked familiar. Yeah, she just had a couple rounds as different characters and then she gets her reoccurring role. Hmm. So she walks them over to a map of the Hudson River and shows them the areas along the river where that type of algae likes to grow. Also, that cleaning solution that they found is used by sewage treatment plants to disinfect waste before it's put into the river. What? (laughs) Before it's put into the river. (laughs) That's what I was like, that, what? (laughs) They're like, can we just skip the part where you guys are dumping trash into the water? We're terrible. We ruin everything. Yeah, we do. And that's the standard. She's like, anyway, they clean the trash before they dump it into this <laughs> ecosystem. There's a treatment plant along the Hudson near one of the algae sites. So the cooler could have been dumped mm-hmm. near that treatment plant and floated all the way down to the mouth of the river near the ocean where it was found. And I like how Benson mm-hmm. asked, she's like, could that cooler have traveled from where it was dumped to where it was found? And Dr. Queen's like, I mean, yeah, it's a river, but <laughs> I know. She's like, I can't believe it. So it could be dumped there and following the current end up where it was at? It's like, yeah, Benny. But yet you fucking find all the evidence all the time? Like, how how is this possible? Hold on, hold on. Will you explain just the basic elements of what a river is to me, please? (laughs) What is 
a river, actually. What it, so the water moves. But why? <laughs> At the precinct, Benson, Stabler, and Cragen are going over everything. There's a map of the area with red arrows pointing to the dump site, the store the bag came from, and where the baby was found. Mm-hmm. The bag that was tied to the cooler was from a grocery store 10 blocks, yeah, right, from where the cooler could have been <laughs> dumped. 10 blocks. <laughs> sure, Jan. Stabler says... <laughs> That people who murder their kids usually report them missing in order to deflect suspicion away from themselves. Correct. Mm-hmm. Cragen is wondering if it's kidnapping. But Kwong says the way the cooler was weighed down from the outside and the way the baby was placed in the cooler says that whoever committed the crime has an emotional connection to the baby. Yeah. They didn't want to crush the baby with a weight. So they had it tied to the outside. And it was just like, mm-hmm. yeah. Stabler says that murders like this are usually the mother, but that it could have been the father. Kudos to Stabes for not hulking over the thought of it being a dad. I like how he's like, just how Benson's like, I'm sorry, water moves. And Benson's like, it could be the mom or the dad. And you're like, (laughs) good police work, guys. (laughs) You're on it. Huang says that if there was a concern for concealing the pregnancy or child for some reason, the murderer would not have waited so long to kill the baby. Mm-hmm. Huang also thinks that the baby was killed by the mother because everybody does. No, it's, <laughs> I mean, they have reasons for it, but I still was annoyed. Craigan wonders where the mother would have kept the baby hidden for a month. And Stabler thinks it could possibly be a student living away from home. Hudson University is near the grocery store and the possible dump site. Craigan agrees that the college is the best lead they have. Remember, Hudson University is the fictional Sfuniverse College in New York City. Fun fact, mm-hmm. it's also used in other shows like Blue Bloods, Castle, Other Law and Orders, Unforgettable, The Cosby Show, Degrassi, The Next Generation. I always thought it was an SVU, Dick Wolf made up thing. Yeah, I didn't know that it was used by other stuff. It is. A ton of other stuff use this fictional college. At Hudson University Health Services, a woman. I recognize this lady. Oh, I have information on her. Oh, do you? I do. Uh, This woman is the clinic clerk at Hudson University, and she is talking to Benson and Stabler, shutting them down, and says that students have a right to their privacy. I fucking love this lady. This woman is actor Patty Weaver. She's mostly a soap opera actor. She legit did 699 episodes of Days of Our Lives and 484 episodes of The Young and the Restless. And I I have two favorites of her credits that I went through. She played the mom in the Twisted Sister Come Out and Play extended music video of We're Not Gonna take it. Oh, shit. She also played Susan Wonderbread in the short Have a Nice Death. I meant to say, like, who my I love her character in this. Yeah. I don't know who she is. Oh, yeah. I adore who she's playing. Yeah, she just, like, doesn't give a shit. Right. So, Stabler asks her who administers the pregnancy test at the student health clinic. And she says, well, that doesn't matter because you're not going to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, well, I'll just stand in the hallway and ask students questions while they leave the clinic. And she's like, hmm. Okay, well, students are usually referred to what is called the SHARE, Sexual Health and Reproductive Education Desk, to get their testing done. Mm -hmm. The test is anonymous, and samples are assigned a number that corresponds with each patient. Stabler will not Mm -hmm. fucking let it go. He goes, all right, so uh, who's got the names then? And she leans in even harder than him and goes, I do. Come back with a court order or don't come back at all. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, you're fucking rad. I mean, they do this all the time where they go in and they're like, press, press, press. And the person's finally like, okay, fine. She's like, 
Mm-mm. I do. I love that she was like, I am protecting the anonymous rights of these fucking people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. The whole conversation. Like, yeah, you know, I, I know we're supposed to be like, oh, we got Give, give them the information so we can solve the case. But it's like, no. Mm-hmm. Get your court order. You have to jump through these extra hoops because these people's privacy are protected. I assume that you're on a team munch this episode as well. I was. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you're like, wait, hold on. Let me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this time. <laughs> yeah. Benson, Cabot, and Stabler are doing a walk and talk on the courthouse steps. Cabot's just bundled up in this sweet little lavender blarf, and I love seeing a pop of color on her. I don't even remember. I oh. think you'd think I would remember a blarf. She you know? wore it the whole episode. Every time they were outside, huh. she kept. I mean, she was. It is January. It is. <laughs> Nobody's dumping shit in the Hudson this time of year. <laughs> So Cabot's like pretty pissed about this court order. She's like, you guys don't even know if the mother of the baby was a student that used the clinic. For the one millionth time, she's like, I need more evidence before I can get a subpoena. Mm-hmm. And then Saber's like, it feels like you're stonewalling us. <laughs> and, and then Benson's like, yeah, what is this really about? And I'm like, oh my God, her fucking job. That's what this is about. Right. And, and the law. Like nobody's, <laughs> nobody's fucking stopping you from just do all the things that you're supposed to do so that she can do the things that she's supposed to do. She's like, hey, I need evidence and they're like fuck you bitch are you mad at us <laughs> i did have a birthday present for you but now i don't know if i'm gonna <laughs> I can see them being emotionally manipulative like that <laughs> cabot's fucking mad and she's like would you want someone digging through your medical records mm-hmm. benson tries to be all like oh dude i got it i had a pregnancy scare in college and the student health clinic is the best lead it's like a pregnancy this isn't this fuck off benson no. Yeah. Stabler then tells Cabot that the health center has students taking the testing samples and sending them off, which means the work isn't being done by medical professionals, so confidentiality may not apply. Cabot said this is very similar to a Planned Parenthood case the county had to drop. She says she'll run it by her boss, but she's like, I already know what fucking Donnelly will say. Mm-hmm. She's not going to fucking have it. Yep. Now we're in badass bitch Liz Donnelly's. I fucking just love her. I don't care. <laughs> I don't even care. Donnelly is like, dude, it is our duty to speak for the victim, the baby. Cabot is fucking surprised, as am I. Mm Mm-hmm. Me too. She's like, what, are we the fucking pregnancy police now? We're violating someone's rights. And Donnelly is like, this isn't about an abortion. This is about a one-month-old being murdered. Mm Mm-hmm. And Cabot's like, well, what if the clinic lead doesn't work? Then what? Like, are we just going to question anyone that bought a pregnancy test at the fucking drugstore? Yeah. Donnelly's like, you're fucking missing the point. But I'm like, is she, though? Is she? The mother could have used a safe haven point. You know how you can have a baby and leave it in, like, the fire department or the Mm -hmm. fucking hospital without prosecution? Yes. But she didn't do that. Instead, she chose to murder the child. Cabot is really upset and worried that women's rights are going to be violated by making an example of whoever killed the baby and that a judge won't see things the way Donnelly does Mm -hmm. because privacy rights are highly valued. Yeah, Donnelly's not hearing her argument at all. So Cabot gets kind of indignant with her and dare I say ballsy and says, well, Mm -hmm. I think most still think privacy rights are a big deal. And Donnelly's mm-hmm. a strategic bitch and says that they're just going to keep the scope narrow then. Yeah. She wants to narrow the scope to a two-month time frame mm-hmm. and rule out those women that have documented births. Cabot looks like a teenager who just was told that she can't go out with her friends, too. She's like, Ugh. Yeah. I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't either. Donnelly. I just wasn't. But Donnelly yeah. just, I mean, she really was, she gets an eye roll out of Cabot and then goes, Alex. I want that list of names. And yeah, I'm surprised by it because it kind of seems 
too personal for Donnelly to be like, you know, we're, we're protecting the victim while well, you're also protecting people's privacy rights. And you would think that you would, right. I don't know, take that into more of consideration. I don't know. Yeah. Now we're at the Bureau of Vital Statistics. Munch and Twos are at a computer looking through shit. Munch is saying that they got the shitty assignment because the judge is a prick. Mm-hmm. Toots tells Munch to fucking chill out, just tell him what he found. So Munch has a record showing 24 pregnant people that match the profile of the suspect. Then he goes off about the disregard for human rights. And then Toots is like, if you have such a problem with it, why don't you get your bony ass out of here? But I like that Munch is worried about these women's rights, dude. I yeah. do. Yeah. it's. I mean, I know we give Munch a lot of shit for conspiracy theory shit, but his biggest issue with all of this is that they're interfering with people's privacy rights. Anytime there's a thing that is like that, he's all about mm-hmm. any episode. He's like, this isn't cool. Yeah. But then it's like on a computer. <laughs> enhance. Enhance. <laughs> So on the computer, Toots finds that of the 24 pregnant women, eight don't have births on a record. And then Munch is like, well, let's go invade their privacy. I'm with fucking Munch and Cabot on this. Mm -hmm. Me too. At the apartment of Angela Savas, Munch and Toots knock on the door and a dude answers. They ask where Angela is. And he says that he's her husband and she's sick. So they're going to have to talk to him. Angela's husband says that she is a grad student at Hudson. And Toots says... Uh, I know she was pregnant nine months ago and her husband says, unless that's a crime, I don't see how that's any of your business. Munch lets Angela's husband know that they have reason to believe that the mother of the baby that was found went to Hudson. And her husband is familiar with the news story and says, so you're interviewing every woman on campus? And Toots goes, just those with positive pregnancy tests and no child. Wow. The bedside manner here is trash. I know. And the dude looks down like, Wow. And goes, you're right. We don't have a child, you fucking dick. My wife miscarried. And this is exactly what they're asking for, going in with that line of questioning. Mm -hmm. Right. And then Toots is like, looks uncomfortable. He's like, uh. And then Munch apologizes. Yeah, genuinely. Yeah. Angela's husband tells him that they went to the Presbyterian hospital when she miscarried. And he's like, uh... If you need the fucking discharge paper, you know, and Toots is like, it's fine. Mm -hmm." Then Angela's husband tells them to get the hell out of here and slams the door in their faces. Rightfully so. Yeah. Munch pats Toots on the shoulders and he's like, oh, hey, dude, cheer up. Only three more to go. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe be a little chill when you talk, you know? Yeah. Maybe be a little fucking chill. I literally put in my notes, maybe be a little less stupid next time, Toots. Oh. Oh my god, I know you have to do this one because of this fucking bitch. I don't... Her voice is insane. It was bizarre. Okay, so Benson and Stabler are in the university bookstore, and they go up to the desk to talk to the store employee, the woman at checkout. Her name's Ellen Swanson, and they're like, we're gonna need to talk to you in private. And she has this weird French accent. It is never confirmed whether she is French or just came back from France. It is for like the the first few lines... It's pretty French. And then as... She sounds like she isn't... She can't close her mouth all the way when she talks. (laughs) She's like, yeah, I work here. I work here. (laughs) It was just super weird. To me, she sounded like a girl who studied abroad in France and then came back and was like, how do you pronounce it? Croissant? (laughs) Croissant. Anyways, her accent sucks. Anyways, she's got a weird (laughs) French-ish... She's got a weird mouth. (laughs) 
So Benny and Stabler are talking to this woman. So they pull her out into the corridor and talk to her about the positive pregnancy test that she had eight months ago. And she's like, well, I never been pregnant and was in Paris for study abroad during the time and just returned. She like (laughs) was very broken. Benson asked if someone in her dorm could have borrowed her ID, but Ellen just looks at the floor and says that she lives in an apartment alone and she needs to get back to work and kind of scurries mm-hmm. away. They're not done with right. her based on her body language. Calm down. <laughs> Jesus. Too much. It was too much. <laughs> I love it. Benson stops her and tells her that they're going to need a DNA swab to rule her out as a suspect. And Ellen gets fucking pissed and says that they can't pry into her private life, baguettes, and expect her to cooperate. <laughs> baguettes. <laughs> and walks away again. Maurice, the baguettes. She just starts fucking chucking croissants at them. <laughs> She's like, I'm smoking. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> I need six eggs. <laughs> Weird. Where are you from? Uh, Massachusetts. <laughs> right. <laughs> At the precinct, Benson gets off the phone and confirms that Ellen was in Paris eight months ago, just like she said. And Munch is under his breath, but not enough, goes, another necessary invasion of privacy. True. Mm-hmm. Benson leans back and relaxes her hands on her head like, um, like, <laughs> listen to this. Two weeks after getting to Paris, she flew back to New York. And Stabler's like, let me guess. She got a pregnancy test when she got here. And Benny's like, boom, day after. And Stabler, instead of going, mm-hmm, he gives her a quick little pew, finger guns. They're just cute together. Mm-hmm. The squad starts to toss ideas around that it's possible that after finding out she was pregnant, Ellen goes back to Paris thinking things will be okay with her and her boyfriend or whatever, and then returns from Paris later, and the dude changed his mind, but it's too late to get an abortion, and she's afraid to tell her parents, has her kid at home, spends a month trying to figure out what to do and how to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And then Stabler's like, this is enough to obtain a warrant. Mm-hmm. At Ellen's apartment. At Ellen's pied de terre. <laughs> <laughs> Stabler and Benson are there searching the place. She's like, no, you guys, I didn't get a pregnancy test. You're at the wrong place. You're doing the wrong shit. We know that you came back from Paris for a pregnancy test. Mm -hmm. And they don't believe anything she's saying because it doesn't line up with the facts that they have. And my question is... pregnancy tests in France? That's exactly what I thought. I'm like, they don't have pregnancy tests in Paris? Why would you fly across the ocean for a pregnancy test? There's got to be more to it. And there is. She's like... (laughs) She's like, it's cheaper if I go through the student thing at my college. I'm going to pay $500 to get out or whatever. It's bizarre. Benson finds a bag from the same grocery store of the bag that was attached to the cooler. Ellen says that everyone on campus shops at that store. Mm-hmm. Then Stabler uncovers a set of dumbbells, but one of the 20-pound dumbbells is missing. And Ellen starts to get a little panicky, and she's like, well, I, I lost it when I was moving. Benson mm-hmm. then finds a book. They're just getting an orgy of evidence dumped on them now. <laughs> Benny then finds a book with a slip of paper in it that she hands to Stabler. And she's like, I know we're not in water right now because this book isn't moving. Right? <laughs> guys? Right? <laughs> That's how it works, right? That's right, right? right? <laughs> We're not in water right now. Okay, cool. (laughs) So this book is called From Conception to Delivery, A First Time Mother's Guide. And the slip of paper was a receipt for the book and is dated the day after her pregnancy test was taken at the clinic. There's this intense... Oh, uh, my God. So many of our notes that we take separately are 
damn near exactly the same. So there's this intense <laughs> dun 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 music playing, and I'm like, oh no, Ellen! I literally wrote Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love you. I love you. In the interrogation room, Ellen and Benson sit at a table while Stabler paces the room because of dad stuff. Mm-hmm. He cannot relax. <laughs> He's like, you should have given it to me. I would have had Kathy take care of it. <laughs> I show up um, with babies Ellen's at home like, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen is like, I didn't do anything wrong. And Benson's like, please take a DNA test. But she will not. Mm-hmm. Stabler says there's enough evidence for a court order and just starts dumping it in front of Ellen. And she mm-hmm. immediately starts crying and asks Stabler to stop. Yeah, it's like, what, what is it? Like the bag, the blanket? He was dumping it all and letting her know how it can it could connect to her or how it could be connected to her. And she was, you know, she got overwhelmed by it and was just like, stop. Benson asked her what happened. Ellen says she doesn't know. And Stabler's like, you're going to feel better if you just tell us. Ellen nods and says it wasn't her, but it was her sister, Patty, who was only 15 years old. Mm. Ellen came back from Paris because her sister needed her, and she gave Patty her student ID so that Patty could get a pregnancy test through the student health clinic. Ah, that's why. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Stabler asks why she didn't tell her parents, and she responds, you don't fucking know my dad. I hate him, by the way. I know we're going to talk about it later, but... Oh, really? I thought he was fine. (laughs) I think he was a nice guy. (laughs) He seemed all right. Patty told Ellen that she was going to have the baby. So the father of the baby is Patty's ex-boyfriend, Paul Hawley. Ellen says Paul is a little bit older and works for a maintenance company. And I was thinking, oh, great. He's going to be like 32. I know. That's what I thought, too. Benson asked what happened when Ellen got back from Paris. She says there was no baby. And Patty said the test was wrong. And she never wanted to talk about it again. Okay. And then Ellen had heard the story about the baby in the cooler. And she just knew it was Patty. And then Ellen's like, oh my God, people don't understand. Patty is just a kid and she was scared. So then now we're in the precinct. The squad discusses what may have happened based on the info they have from Ellen's interview. They think that Patty kept the baby at her ex's house, but then the daddy novelty wore off and she had to figure out what to do. Daddy Craig's wants Patty brought in, but with a parent since she's a minor. Patty and Ellen's dad is on a flight from DC. He's some corporate big shot and the mom may be out running errands. She's a homemaker. Then Munch hangs up the phone with Patty's school. Her teacher says she left class to answer an emergency page she didn't have a nokia brick it was 2003 like that didn't make sense to me but she got a page and had to go call the number that paged her and oh god i was thinking i was thinking it was like a school like where they were like come down to the office oh mm-hmm. you know and then she left or something but no because later they bring up her being like That's paging right. her having a pager but then after she left to go answer this page she never came back to class toots thinks mm-hmm. that it was ellen warning patty the school is faxing patty's photo to the precinct and craigan says that her boyfriend can maybe help them find her so now mm-hmm. they gotta go get this guy munch and toots are talking to patty's ex we're at the manhattan utility maintenance company mm-hmm. he says he hasn't seen her in eight months since she broke up with him this dude did a bunch of voices on the show celebrity Deathmatch, which was a claymation boxing show on MTV. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine how cringy the show must be now, but he did like mm. so many, you know, quote, celebrity characters' voices. Mm. What a dumb show. <laughs> I know. Toots asks if she dumped him or he broke up with her when he found out she was pregnant. He has no idea that she was pregnant. And he's like, we've never even had sex because, you know, she's a little too young. And then Munch is like, well, how old are you eight months ago? And Paul says he was 17. Toots is like, dude, it wouldn't have been statutory rape because they were both minors. 
and then tells Paul to fucking spill it and asks Paul again if he had sex with Patty. Paul admits it. What a weird lie. I know. And then Toots says, you hit it raw. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God. Oh, my fucking God, dude. Gross. It's a gross way to say that no matter what. But you're saying it about a 15 year old. Yeah. So dude says they did a few times, but she never told Paul she was pregnant. Then he asks what this has to do with him. And Toots brings up the baby found in the cooler. Paul asks if they think it was his. And then Munch asks for his DNA. And Paul is like, of course, Mm -hmm. which I love. I love when people are just like, fucking take it. Yeah. And he's like, I would have been fine supporting Patty and the baby. I have a decent paying union job. Toots asks him if Paul was willing to step up. Why didn't Patty tell him about the pregnancy? And then Paul's like, it's fucking because of Patty's dad. He's a fucking world-class jerk. (laughs) Sick burn, Paul. Yeah, he's a world-class jerk. He says Patty's dad hates him because he dropped out of school. Munch asks if Paul knows where Patty is, but he doesn't know. So they ask him to page Patty and ask her to meet up. Yes. Now we're at the park. Patty is nervously waiting for Paul. The lowest keys of a piano are being pounded to create the intensity of the mm-hmm. music for this scene. A lot of low-key piano work. Mm-hmm. Not low-key as in understated. It is just like... A literal low-key. Yeah. Benson and Stabler walk up to Patty. The music is all swelly and gross. Benson shows her... <laughs> swelly and gross. Just swelly. The music is all swelly. The music is me hungover, swelly and gross. <laughs> Benson shows her shield to Patty, and all Patty says is, please don't tell my parents. I'm excited to see her act because this is Natalie Paulding at 13. She replaced Natalie Portman as Anne Frank in The Diary of Anne Frank on Broadway. She went on to be in two other Broadway productions, and she also won an Emmy for her role as Susan Lucci's daughter on All My Children. Not to be a dick, but I wasn't impressed. (laughs) God, what a cunty thing to say. I don't know shit about acting. (laughs) In the precinct, Patty and Ellen's parents are on one side of a table, and Patty and Benson are on the other side. Stabler's mm-hmm. fucking standing because he can't sit at a time like this. Mm-hmm. So Dad is an SVU three-timer and kind of looks like Colin Quinn to me. And He does. Yeah. And Mom doesn't have a ton of credits, but she is in an episode of The Other Two. You've watched that, right? Oh, my God. I fucking love I that love show. I love that show. Yeah. The dad asks Patty if she's pregnant and Patty just puts her head down and says, not anymore. Her dad shakes his head and goes, you stupid slut. What, you just spread your legs for the first dropout punk who comes sniffing around? Gross. Staves is like, dude, chill out. Yeah, he's like, hey, calm down, calm down. Yeah. Her mom asks her what happened and Patty admits that she killed her baby. Her dad's like, what did you do? Patty says she went to a place on 96th Street and Stabler's like, was that a clinic? And Patty goes, yeah, I didn't know where else to go. So Mm. now we're starting to get like, wait a minute, this is not the same story. She had an abortion. Yeah. Yeah. Her dad stands up and is screaming at her for having an abortion without his permission. And Benson reminds him that the law says she doesn't need his permission. And he goes, the hell she doesn't. And Uh Stabes can't take it anymore and goes, I've asked you to calm down. He like steps up to him. Oh, yeah. And he's like, now I'm telling you to sit down with two D's. The dad does Mm. not want to see what's on the other end of not listening to Stabes. This dad fucking Mm. wiggles his tongue around a little bit and sits down. Ew. I took a video. Hang on. Oh, gross. It is. There easily could have been a fucking sandbag punch in this. Oh, 100%. I took so many videos trying to get this right. Ew. Okay. 
It really is you. It is. So now they fully see what's going on. I mean, Patty's like, yes, I killed my baby. That threw us because that's what she yeah. thinks an abortion is. Benson asks Patty for permission to check her story with the clinic. And Patty's like, yeah, sure. So now we're in the squad room. Toots asks Stabler how the interview went. And Stabler says, the only crime here is his father is a prick. Mm-hmm. Toots adds, and a wife beater. And they're like, what? <laughs> Stabler's neck pert near fucking snaps. And he's like, what'd you say? <laughs> yeah. Toots tells Stabler that there have been many, many domestic violence calls to their home, but that he has no charges. Because the wife never presses them. Yeah. Patty's dad walks out and steps up to fucking Stabler and he's like, don't you ever fucking talk to me like that again. Or I'll talk to the police commissioner. We play golf together. These guys are fucking nipple to nipple right now. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> yeah. I am like, look at my, I have chills just even remembering it. Yes. And then Stabler says, does he know about your handicap? You know, the one that makes you slap your wife around. The whole room is quiet. My nipples are diamonds. <laughs> Patty's dad looks surprised and like kind of breaks eye contact with Stabler. Because mm-hmm. he knows what he does is wrong. Yes. Okay. And he's ashamed when it's public because that's yeah. a thing we do in private, you piece of shit. Stabler says, oh, good. <laughs> I got your attention. You raise a hand to her or your daughters again, I'll be paying you a visit. And then dad says, are you threatening me? Oh, my God. And then Stabler pauses and goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, sploosh. Yeah. Stabler. <laughs> This whole time when he's like, and they're just fucking nipping out harder and harder against each other. Stabler's smiling a little bit and he is dying for this fucking dude to swing on him. Mm-hmm. Their dick tips are touching. They're not going to lock in, but they're not going to link. Not but. not in the way that they should be. Not in the way that we hope for all straight men. But but yeah, their dick tips are touching for sure. Can you imagine mm-hmm. being in like if I had a penis? Okay, I would feel like as I was watching this, I'm like, doesn't this make you hard a little bit? Like this level of like intense emotion being like, if you fucking raise your hand to them again. It at least moves or twitches or something. It's gotta be moving, right? Yeah. (laughs) Dude, I just, I was thinking too hard about what their dicks were doing in this situation. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, the family standing in the background watching it like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. Because nobody stands up to that piece of shit. But also, it makes me nervous because he could take it out on them. Because that's oftentimes what I'm... He's 100% going to. The way he left with Patty and the mom, he like grabbed the mom's arm. Yeah. And was like holding it out. It was fucking weird. Mm -hmm. This is later. um, Stabler's waiting for the elevator in the precinct. And Benny walks over to him and lets him know that the clinic confirmed Patty's abortion. They're back at fucking square Mm -hmm. one. Stabler's like, cool, we turned her world upside down for fucking nothing. Awesome. Benson's like, I heard what you told Patty's dad. And Stabler's like, yep, I meant every fucking word. The elevator mm-hmm. dings and Corner Warner gets out. She's got her hair done, makeup done, classy titties out. She looks Oof. fucking good. Yeah. Benny rightfully goes, wow, fuck. You look like you <laughs> left someone alone at a very nice place. Isn't that what she said last time? I don't. Isn't that like word for word what she said last time when she came in dressed up? Or did I just somehow remember this um from years ago maybe or maybe it's her like why the long face sure hey hump day like who, maybe it's just a thing she says <laughs> i don't know <laughs> corner warner's like my husband will wait but this news could not she pulled a me and answered whoever was calling uh while she was at dinner <laughs> Uh, you, do you answer other people's phone calls when you're at dinner with your family? No, just yours. But I didn't tell you. We were at Sush the other night and you called me and I didn't answer. Good. good. Um, mostly because we were sitting outside and it was kind of windy and it would have been like irritating. But so 
Corner Warner's like, my husband can wait, but I have news. Don't. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Corner Warner noticed that the baby's retinas had a reddish discoloration during the autopsy, so she ordered some genetic testing. One of the tests came back positive for Tay-Sachs disease and mm. says that the baby would have died a terrible death by the age of five. And Benson, cool. mouth open, off into the distance eyes, says... Oh my God, it was a mercy killing. And Stabler's like, yeah. <laughs> Your face, you were like doing the whole looking off. <laughs> so shit, whole okay. different angle now. Yeah, so now we're at the precinct. The profile of the suspects has completely changed. The detectives now are looking for a couple who has money for health care for the baby, but they didn't find out about the diagnosis until after the baby was born and may not have kept the baby a secret. Wong says the family may be covering up the disappearance of the baby by moving or reported the baby missing in some other state. Munch is going to go check with the Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Craigan asks Juan how they can dig up a trail on these people. Huang tells him about Tay sex. It's most common in the Jewish community, and Munch is like, same old story, when all else fails, round up the Jews. Huang goes on and he's like, well, actually, there's a bunch of other ethnicities and communities that have a high likelihood of the disease. He also thinks that the parents of the baby may not have been tested for the disease. Because mm -hmm. both parents have to have it to pass it on. Yeah. Craigan says that if he were to have a kid with a rare disease, the first thing he would do is find a doctor that specializes in it. Fucking dot, dot, dot. At the Klein Research Lab, Benson Stabler are talking to this research doctor guy. He says it's difficult for parents to bear the diagnosis. They're years away from a cure, by the way. Okay. His name is Dr. Klein. He's actor Kino Ryder. He's got three credits. This one, a voice acting role in the TV series Daria, and an uncredited role in the movie Vampire Lesbian Kickboxers. Whoa! <laughs> Damn. Mm -hmm. I got a lot to process on that. I know. <laughs> I'm just like trying to, yeah. Vampire Lesbian Kickboxers. <laughs> These are a few of my favorite things. Julie Andrews fucking loves that movie. <laughs> All right. So Tay-Sachs causes a fatty substance to build up in the brain. Those who have it are lacking in an enzyme that like processes all that shit and it builds up in the brain and it results in loss of function and it's terrible and it leads to like a very awful, awful death for the person. The doctor also says that a diagnosis doesn't usually happen until about six months old. Benson wonders why the parents would have had the baby tested, and the doctor says that the red spots in the eyes that Coroner Warner found can appear in patients as young as two days old. And it, it could have been discovered by the pediatrician during a checkup. Stabler asks if there were any patients that have died or missed appointments recently, but this doctor doesn't work directly with the patients. He's just a research guy. He also says that if he did, he wouldn't tell them anyways. Stabler asks where the parents can go to get help for this. And the doctor says that there is only one support group in this area. Now we're at this place. Benson Stabler is speaking with the support group leader, Rabbi Birnbaum. I thought that clerk lady was in a lot of episodes of soap operas, but this guy was in 1,000 123 episodes of Another World and a couple hundred episodes in other series. Crazy. He's a babe, by the way. A super babe. After this role, he picks up a reoccurring role in SVU as Dr. Anglis and is in three more episodes. Oh. The rabbi tells them that people travel for hours to come to these meetings. Stabler lets them know that they are looking for someone local with a child born about a month ago. Rabbi does recall a woman from Manhattan who'd come to a meeting a few weeks ago, but she never came back. He thinks it's because she saw a child of one of the parents and was, quote, disturbed. He doesn't remember her name, and he can't give the detectives the sign-in sheet. 
Benson tells him that they're sure the parents they are looking for murder their baby because she has Tay-Sachs. And the rabbi gets kind of teary-eyed. Stabler says that there isn't a law protecting support group's confidentiality. The rabbi says, well, I'm just trying to protect the group member's peace. And Stabler says, well, sorry, we got to get a subpoena. And they start walking off and the rabbi immediately gives in. And he's like, I'll fax the sheets over. But just so you know, like we don't require anybody to sign in or do anything. So you might not find anything. Mm-hmm. When Benson asks if the rabbi remembers anything else about the woman, he recalls that her pediatrician, Dr. Judah Plattner, is a member of their congregation and that he was the one that referred her to the group. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. In Dr. Plattner's office, <gasps> Go. Dr. Plattner I love this is guy. played by fucking Judd Hirsch. Mm-hmm. He's been in basically everything, but mm-hmm. I'm going to hit some of his big ones. He was Alex on the show Taxi, John in the TV series Dear John, A Beautiful Mind, Alan Epps on Numbers, Dan. Damages, the Goldbergs, pop, pop, so many things. Mm-hmm. He also comes back to SVU in 2018. Okay, so Benny and Stabes are there talking to this guy. Dr. Plattner cannot disclose the name of the woman he referred to the group. In his eyes, telling the detectives that information is the same as giving the detectives records, which mm-hmm. he also cannot do. So they're not going to yeah. get around it with this guy. He's mm-hmm. like, I haven't had a Tay-Sachs patient in years anyway. And Benson goes, Hmm, funny, because the rabbi mentioned you by name. And he's like, oh, he probably got me confused with another pediatrician. Okay, I know it's already a giveaway that he's the famous guy, but his saying this made Mm -hmm. me go, okay, I've got my eye on you. Mm -hmm. When Stabler asks if he had a patient die recently, Dr. Plattner said, yeah, but the patient was a five-year-old boy who had a brain tumor. Another job that would be like, just emotionally fucking draining, dude. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the doctor tells them to stop wasting their time. Yeah, they just keep asking him questions. Yeah. Ask him questions. And he's like, don't waste my time and don't waste yours. Right. I got he's stuff like, to do. I-, I would help you if I could, but I can't and I'm not gonna. Yeah. At the precinct, Munch didn't get any leads from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children or Missing Persons because he fucking looks into shit. Stabler wonders how no one has come forward with a report that they may know the parent considering the case has been so public. So Benson thinks that people may know the parents of the baby that died, but they just don't know how. Mm-hmm. Toots thinks that the parents covered up the death of the baby with help from Dr. Plattner. OMG, I think that too. Toots. <laughs> He found a death certificate for a baby girl named Sarah Brown signed last month by Dr. Plattner. He lied to them. Yeah, he didn't tell them that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Her cause of death was listed as asphyxiation from pneumonia. Benson and Stabler head over to Sarah's parents' house. This is Andrea and Daniel Brown. OMG, Andrea is Juliet from Lost. That's who she is. Yeah, but she's a brunette in this and she's a blonde in Lost, okay? She's in other stuff okay. too, important stuff, like the Santa Claus 2 and 3. Oh, She comes back to SVU again in 2011. And husband Daniel comes back in 2006. So many Mm -hmm. repeat offenders here. Mm -hmm. They had Sarah's funeral on Wednesday and are still sitting Shiva. Stabler tells Andrea and Daniel that they're investigating a complaint against Dr. Plattner. And they're following up with all of the patient's parents from a list that they have. Which is not true. Benson asks to use the Browns bathroom and immediately puts on gloves and begins looking around. Is this legal? Uh Uh-huh. I know. So she's looking around and finds this like empty pill bottle for imipramine mm-hmm. is an antidepressant. And then I'm like, can can this happen? Can you just do that? But the fact that they use that as a thing to get. Mm-hmm. I, I can't figure this out. Like, uh, 
at the very least, it's blurring the lines of what's okay because she picked it up, she looked at it and put it back in the trash. So she could easily sell it to prosecutors or whoever that has to like go like through that, the that it was an shit. open it was in an, open, was an open trash vision. can and I just happened yeah. to see it and what are you going to do? Hold me accountable for What if it had been in the fucking medicine cabinet she opened? Ugh. Like, does that change the whole thing? It was weird. Would she have to lie and say it was sitting out? I don't know. So she flushes the toilet and leaves the bathroom. Oh, my God. If I heard her flush the toilet but didn't hear the faucet going after, I'd be like, ew. Ew. (laughs) It's like, ew, she went to the bathroom and didn't wash her hands. Wipe off my doorknobs. Benny and Staves are having a walk and talk outside after they leave the house to go over what Benny found in the john. The pill bottle was for an antidepressant prescribed to Andrea by dun 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 Dr. Taxicab Platner, the pediatrician what? to the precinct. <laughs> Guess who it was prescribed by? You guessed it, Dr. Platner. <laughs> Doctor I like rolled that all up. You guessed it. Now we're in Craigan's office. Benson and Stabler tell Craigan and Cabot that Corner Warner confirmed that the antidepressants that were prescribed to Andrea were the same kind found in the baby's system. Stabler thinks that they use it to put the baby to sleep and then flush the rest down the toilet. Cabot says that if Platner gave them the pills for this purpose, then he is just as guilty as the parents. Mm-hmm. She's going to get a warrant for the bottle. Craigan wonders if an empty casket was buried at Sarah's funeral. Mm. Stabler says he checked out the funeral home that the Browns used and they had a ton of violations. Yes. Stabler thinks the Browns could have paid them off. Cabot wonders why they wouldn't just bury the baby instead of dumping her in the river. Craigan says they can't prove the Browns are the victim's parents without more evidence. Stabler says they have the pill bottle and he wonders if that's enough to get a warrant to exhume the grave. Obviously it is, because now we're in the medical examiner's office. The music is all swelly. Corner Warner is opening this tiny, tiny little casket. And Benson Stabler is standing behind her. The casket is empty. (gasps) Corner Warner says she's going to run tests on the lining, but she's pretty sure that there's never been a body in it. Yeah. So in an interrogation room, the Browns and their lawyer... Fucking Viola Davis. This lawyer Mm -hmm. is Donna Emmett Esquire, Viola Dam Davis. This is her first appearance of seven as attorney Donna Emmett. United States of Terra, Eat, Pray, Love, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, Mm -hmm. The Help, How to Get Away with Murder is her big series at 90 episodes. She currently has a pile of stuff in the works and played Michelle Obama in the TV series The First Lady this year. Mm. Okay. Nice. I've been meaning to watch that. Oof. So they're all in there. The Browns, fucking Viola Davis, Stabler, and Munch. Okay. Mm -hmm. Attorney Emmett says that the murder was actually a selfless act of mercy and thinks the jury won't convict the Browns. Stabler goes, um, juries don't tend to like people that kill their own kids. Mm-hmm. Stabler then asks Andrea, Sarah's mom, if the murder was Dr. Platner's idea, but she says that it was hers. She goes on to say that she couldn't bear to hurt Sarah, and Munch goes, mm-hmm. oh, you must have had Daniel do it then. But Andrea says Daniel had nothing to do with the murder. Daniel's like, honey, don't say anything else. But then she keeps going, and she goes, I didn't know what to do, so I asked Dr. Platner for help. In another interrogation room, Benson and Cabot are questioning Dr. Platner, who's sitting with his lawyer. Platner says that nothing would have saved Sarah and that he's seen many children die. And at least he did something for her before she suffered. Mm. Benson's like, what about your fucking oath to do no harm? He says he couldn't even make Sarah comfortable and that her mother wanted to spare her years of discomfort and torture, basically. Mm-hmm. And then says, would it be more harmful to make her live with Tay-Sachs? Platner's lawyer says that the jury will see him as an angel of mercy. And Cabot responds with, 
or an angel of death. The lawyer asked for a plea with no time involved. Cabot's like, uh, what? Platner supplied the murder weapon. I'm not going to send a message that you can kill a terminally ill child and get off with a slap on the wrist. My question is why the cooler, though? That's still where I'm sitting. It's like, why aren't we talking about the cooler in the river? They yeah. they say it later, but in this moment. Right, yeah. Back in the interrogation room with Andrea Brown, Stabler, and Munch, the music is so fucking intense. Mm-hmm. Staves tells Andrea that her sentence could be 25 to life. You fed Sarah the drugs. DNA proves that little girl in the river is your daughter. Andrea says that mm-hmm. Staves can't imagine how hard this was and that Sarah just went peacefully to sleep. Munch pipes up. Everyone jumps and shrieks, ah! A bird. He's a crow with a hat perched in a dark corner and says, it's still murder. (laughs) He's not in the room until he is. You know what I mean? Right. Outside the courthouse, Munch looking especially like Darkwing Duck, dude. Mm. He's just like reading a newspaper. Cabot walks up. He caws at her. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Tries to peck out her eyes. Cabot's like, what are you doing here? You're not testifying. He gives her a shiny pebble he found. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, why? You're not testifying. What, what's going on? Mm-hmm. He says he has a personal interest. That's why he's there. Cabot's like, I assumed that you were pro-euthanasia. Munch says that it's only for when it's competent adults who ask for it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, assisted death. Yeah. Munch is concerned that euthanasia won't stop at kids with incurable diseases. What about the disabled? What about fucking, like, who gets to decide what's a disability or a terminal illness? You know what I mean? Right. Like, he's t- Yeah, he's talking eugenics at this point. Yeah. But I get it. It's a slippery slope. Yeah, I was just going to say that slippery slope fallacy. It's- Cabot says the defense is going to argue that Andrea killed Sarah out of love and Munch is like I don't care what the intentions are paved with it doesn't matter right it's murder so now we're in trial Dr. Plattner is on the stand he says that he's Andrea Brown's pediatrician and was like her father figure after her father died but they kind of fell out of touch when she left for college until Sarah was born he was one that noticed the red spots in Sarah's eyes at her two-week checkup and then told her to get Sarah tested he let them know that she did have Tay-Sachs And that the Browns had felt guilty because they didn't get tested for the disease prior to having a child. Usually, I guess a lot of people in the Jewish community do that before getting married. Plattner tells them what Sarah faced with the Tay-Sachs diagnosis. Seizures at six months, vision deterioration to blindness, brain function deterioration, loss of the ability to sit up and swallow, and she would need a feeding tube to stay alive. Until she was five. Plattner says that Sarah would have died a terrible death before she was five. Ugh. When asked if Plattner had told the Browns to euthanize Sarah, I'm saying air quotes, euthanize Sarah, he Mm -hmm. says no, of course not. When asked about prescribing the antidepressants to Andrea, he said that Andrea told him that she was going to do this no matter what, with or without him. So he wanted what Sarah was going to go through to be as painless as possible and for the mom. Cabot gets up. She says, quote, when you agreed to help Andrea Brown kill her daughter, Plattner interrupts and says, I didn't do that. And Cabot goes, well, did you ever talk to her husband, Daniel? Plattner didn't. Cabot asks if Plattner falsified the death certificate. He says he did. She asks him if he was the one that told Andrea to dump Sarah's body in the river. He says no. Cabot also asks him why he contacted the funeral home and asked him to bury an empty casket. Andrea was supposed to contact Plattner when Sarah fell asleep, but she never did. She put Sarah in the river, which Plattner admits to helping cover up. This wasn't supposed to happen. It was supposed to yeah. be like they were going to put the baby in the casket and have the falsified records. And mm-hmm. Cabot asked Plattner if he believes that children that have no chance of survival should be euthanized. And what does that 
look like? Who decides that? What's the criteria for this? Platner says he hasn't done this for anyone else and only did it for Andrea because he cared for her and didn't want to see her suffer. Now Andrea's on the stand. She literally goes step by step about how she killed Sarah. Yeah. Andrea waited for Daniel to be at work. She ground some antidepressants into some formula, nursed the baby one last time, gave Sarah the formula and like watched her fall asleep. This is fucking awful. Then she panicked, put Sarah in the car, and went to the river at a spot she and her husband used to go to. This is a terrible scene to break up like this, but Mm -hmm. the camera pans over the jury, and a dude is giving the fucking shocker hand really obviously, and I took a photo, and I have to send it to you. What? I didn't see that. Yeah. This lady's a great actor, by the way. She's like fucking... She is. Where is this guy? Oh, here he is. Yeah! Look (laughs) Dude! Did it come through? Yeah, what the fuck? (laughs) Right? Wait, is he miss? Is he is he missing a finger? I don't think he's missing a finger. It looks like it's t- it's like bent down. See where his how his knuckle is bent? Yeah, he's straight up given the shocker. I hope that's like his claim to. He's like, you guys, this is when I was. This is the episode I was in. <laughs> okay, so she tied a tire iron into the grocery sack, tied the sack to the cooler, wrapped Sarah in a blanket, and put her inside. When she placed the cooler in the river and watched it disappear. Andrea's lawyer asked her about what other options she had. Andrea talks about the support group Dr. Platner referred her to. She says she went and listened to how the parents talked about their kids, and she decided she couldn't stand to see Sarah suffer. Now Cabot's cross-examining Andrea and asked her why she didn't wait to kill Sarah until she showed signs of Tay-Sachs. She, again, says she couldn't wait that long. She didn't want to see her suffer at all. Cabot's like, this is more about your pain than it is Sarah's. Andrea says, quote, I wanted to spare Sarah, not me. I'll be in agony for the rest of my life. (sighs) Fuck. When asked why Daniel didn't go to the support group with her, Andrea says she didn't bring him because she didn't think that he could handle it. Cabot asks what Daniel's involvement was, because Dr. Platner has stated that the murder was what both parents wanted, but Andrea told the police that Daniel wasn't involved. Like, what is this guy doing this whole time? Mm -hmm. Andrea says she didn't want Daniel to be the one that killed Sarah, and she knows that what she did was illegal, but that she believes that God wouldn't want to have an innocent child suffer. And then I'm like, oh my God, does the Great Flood ring a bell? Does Sodom and Gomorrah ring a bell? Like, I know. Please. I know. In the hallway outside the courtroom, Cabot sees the Browns and Platner huddled in a corner, kind of fighting. Yeah. And Platner's lawyer walks over to Cabot. The doctor has asked his lawyer to speak with her because he wants to make a deal. Mm-hmm. Donnelly and Cabot are in Cabot's office with Platner and his lawyer. Platner's like, I got nothing to hide. I did what I needed to do for Andrea and for Sarah. If I get convicted, I'm going to die in prison. So, okay. So then his lawyer lays down what they're offering. Man two, five to 15 years. And Cabot's mm-hmm. like, does this deal have anything to do with uh, what was going on in your little conversation in the hallway? Uh, and his lawyer's like, no. Uh, and I'm pretty sure... Platner's going to be acquitted, so bloop. let's just make a deal. In the precinct, Cabot lets the gang know that they told Platner and the lawyer that they would sleep on it. Because Stabler's like, duh, bloop, duh. And they're like, chill. <laughs> Munch, Munch chimes in. He wonders what Platner is scared of all of a sudden. Cabot tells him that Platner seemed surprised when Andrea said Daniel wasn't involved in, in the decision to kill Sarah. Mm-hmm. Munch thinks that Andrew was just trying to protect Daniel from the truth, considering most Jewish couples are tested for tay sex before they're even married. Munch implies that Daniel may not have even been Sarah's father. What an unnecessary twist! Yeah, as <laughs> 
As most Jewish couples in that position may not even try to have a child. Daniel may not be Jewish. Fuck. Mm. Cabot speaks with Daniel and the Browns' lawyer. Their lawyer wonders why the fuck they want to speak to just her and Andrea's husband. Where the fuck is Andrea? Cabot lets her know that there is an order for a DNA sample from Daniel because he was born Catholic. His birth certificate says Catholic, which is so weird. Nobody's born Catholic. I know. You're not born a religion. Being Jewish is also a fucking ethnicity. (sighs) Daniel says he converted to Judaism prior to marrying Andrea. Cabot tells him that the probability of Daniel carrying the Tay-Sachs gene is super low. Daniel tries to use spousal privilege to object the DNA sample. Cabot tells him that communication between spouses is protected. That don't cover DNA. Then he's like, don't even fucking bother. I know I'm not Sarah's fucking father. And admits that Andrea told him about the affair she had after she was arrested. Even though he was suspicious when Sarah was diagnosed. Daniel says that the affair was with someone Andrea worked with. Andrea asked Daniel how he knows that Andrea didn't kill the baby to cover up the affair. And Daniel says, because Andrea loves Sarah more than anything in the entire world. Again, I go back to why the twist? Why this twist? Uh, I don't know, but I like that. Just, yeah, go ahead. I don't know. Uh, what do you like? I just, I like at the end how Cabot's like, yeah, because I made her look like a whore. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I like that. Yeah. Y- pointing that out that that's easy to do in court and with women yeah and she knew that she was manipulated yeah we'll get there back in the court i mean either way this lady murdered a kid for sure but they didn't they didn't even need that right to prove that back in the courtroom steven kellerman is on the stand okay this is the dude that andrea had an affair with this is actor paul adelstein he's in girlfriend's guide to divorce chicago pd i feel bad brooklyn 99 prison break scandal private practice memoirs of a geisha a bunch of stuff he also comes back he's in memoirs of a geisha like a soldier or something i don't know he also comes back to svu in 2015 i know him from girlfriend's guide to divorce and he is not an unattractive dude. This guy's on the stand. He's like, we only boned once and then I switched offices and went to Boston. He said that he became aware that he was Sarah's biological father when he read about the case in the fucking newspaper but confirms that he didn't know about the baby before that. Yeah. Andrea's lawyer, fucking by Ola fucking Davis, gets up to question Kellerman as well. She's like, who ended the affair? And he said that Andrea ended things. He loved her, but Andrea loved Daniel. Attorney Emmett goes on to ask Kellerman why he didn't come forward sooner. He explains that he had a brother that died of Tay-Sachs and that if he was in Andrea's position, he would have done the same thing. Dude, so Andrea's husband is sitting behind Andrea, right? Mm -hmm. This guy who's just found out his wife had an affair and had a baby with another guy and this guy's on the stand. Andrea starts crying when Mm. Kellerman says that. And this guy fucking reaches over and comforts Andrea as she's crying. Like, this man is a fucking saint. Gem. Yeah. I would be throwing things at the back of her head. Oh. I wouldn't have, but I'd be like pissed. You I know, know like, but this like is insane. With the bar being where it is for men, like this is exemplary behavior. Right. Yeah. He's just a, a husband who knows his wife needs support, and she's a human being who makes mistakes. Don't blink at me like that. I'm no, talking I was about just blinking the, like I was like those are some mistakes. I'm talking about <laughs> like the affair crazy. being a mistake. I'm not talking yeah. about the. I mean, that's a whole other can of worms. Worms. In the courtroom, Andrea's lawyers are there. The jury is about to make a deliberation. They're doing that whole, like, hey, you guys, pick me. Pick my side, you know? Yeah, they're they're closing arguments. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing that pick me shit. These fucking... 
American <laughs> lawyers. Like, they're like, hey, check it out. Andrea's lawyer says that Andrea killed Sarah to spare her years of suffering in a painful death. She asked the jury to consider what they would do in the situation before making their consideration, which to me is just like, no. What? <laughs> like, no. No what? What would you do? Would you kill your kid? I mean, like, you're asking people if you would murder your child and then, like, vote that it's okay that that happened. Dude. It's just, it's... It's not as whatever. obvious as I feel like you're leaning into. I mean, it is. She killed somebody. She, it, it, does, it, do, it, it doesn't matter what the intentions sure, are. Sure. That's, that's true. But also, like, I'm not saying that it's okay. And I'm not saying that I... I don't know what I would do in that situation when there is no other option it's like either do something illegal or allow this person that you love more than anything to suffer until know, they die but i know of course their life is suffering there's a and difference between it. what you what you want to do and the or like we're in the we're in a court of law only the law is supposed to be looked at you know what i mean mm -hmm. so it's kind of like laws, but i don't know maybe the laws are fucking fucked there used well, to be a lot of are, laws that have changed that are completely fucked. Yes, but those have, laws went through a certain process to get changed. You know what I mean? Uh, Unless they're doing this to try to set a precedent that you can kill babies that are suffering. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I get the, I think, like, the wanting to do it. Not wanting to, but having to do it. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Now it's Cabot's turn to pick me. <laughs> she tells the jury that Andrea gave her baby a lethal dose of antidepressants. And that the motive wasn't as noble as it's being argued. Habit says that the motive was to hide the affair and salvage her reputation and that it's clearly murder. I don't agree Ouch. with Cabot and I Ouch. don't like that I don't agree with her. I don't think this well, had anything to do with her affair. I don't think it did either. I really believed it was because she loved her child. Yeah. The jury finds Andrea guilty of murder in the second degree. She and Daniel hug and... Andrea cries. Outside the courthouse, Munch catches up with Cabot on the stairs as she's leaving. He says, good job, counselor. And then Cabot's like, Andrea didn't fucking deserve 25 to life, but I fucking made her look like a whore. She got a tougher sentence. And I'm like, oh my God, Cabot knew what she was doing? Of course she mm -hmm. did, but it shocked me. <laughs> I was like, yeah. no, Cabot. Munch says it doesn't matter because she killed her child. And then Cabot asks Munch what he would have done in that situation. And Munch says, whatever I could. Which, yeah. I was like, okay. Cool, Toyota. Yeah. So this was one of those episodes that was really, really hard to find anything about. I mean, you can find stuff about it, but there's not a particular case, but I found some shit. We're not in the U.S. for this, okay? Sure. In March of 1993, baby Margie was born in Pumerend, the Netherlands, nine miles north of Amsterdam. So forgive me if I mispronounce some of the words here. She was born with hydrocephalus, which is excess fluid deep in the brain. Mm -hmm. It causes an enlarged head and brain deterioration. Spina bifida, a central nervous defect that leaves a section of the spinal cord and nerves unprotected by the spine and is extremely painful, as well as leg deformities. Gynecologist mm -hmm. Dr. Hank Prinz was working with the family and claimed he did everything he could to bring her comfort in the first few difficult days of her life. After mm -hmm. three days and after consulting with two pediatricians, two gynecologists and one neurologist, Marchie's parents gave permission to Dr. Prince to inject their baby with a muscle paralyzer, which then caused her to stop breathing. Her mom held her mm. while she died, and within 15 minutes, Marchie was gone. Aww. It was this doctor's belief that she wouldn't have lived beyond several months at most, and that time would have been in excruciating pain. He then reported what he had done to the public prosecutor. This seems jarring, right? Mm -hmm. But it really wasn't. 
actually neonatal euthanasia was being performed behind the scenes in the Netherlands at this time. When a baby was born with a life-threatening issue or an abnormality causing terrible pain, parents and doctors would come to a decision to end that baby's life. The doctor would give the baby a lethal dose of morphine and sedatives, resulting in their death. Doctors would then falsify death certificates to avoid prosecution for murder. Eventually, they began to make deals with local prosecutors' offices. They would report the deaths as, quote, life-ending treatment for newborns. In exchange, no charges would be brought against them. Later on, between the years of 2000 and 2004, 18 of these deaths were reported and none were prosecuted. Although they think that's probably only one third of actual cases, being that there were still plenty of doctors were afraid of action being taken against them, which was totally valid because on Monday, July 18th, 1994, Justice Minister Winnie Sorgdrager had Dr. Prinz and another unidentified doctor who was a part of this Marchie death charged with first degree murder for the killing of the baby. Euthanasia was just the beginning of working its way toward acceptability at the time. Parliament had just laid out guidelines to allow for doctors to perform this for a patient. The patient must be terminally ill, be an unbearable suffering, and repeatedly ask to die. Meaning a baby or anyone who cannot directly ask for death cannot be euthanized. Mm. By the time this case reached public prosecutors, they decided not to press charges against Dr. Prinz and the unnamed doctor. Okay? But it did cause enough... Mm -hmm stress in the in the healthcare community to keep some people from coming forward about it. So after this kind of agreement period where they're like, yeah, we should allow it to happen and everybody's sort of letting it happen and being okay with it, it's still illegal, but it's based on compassionate care. So in 2004, after all this, Dr. Edward Verhagen, head of pediatrics at Groningen Hospital in Groningen, the Netherlands, said, quote, it's time to be honest about the unbearable suffering endured by newborns with no hope of a future. All over the world, doctors end lives discreetly out of compassion without any kind of regulation. This is a subject that nobody likes to acknowledge, let alone discuss. Some called him Dr. Death. Some called him the second mm -hmm. Hitler because he had performed and advocated for compassionate infant euthanasia in extreme cases. But there's a lot of people who don't want that to happen no matter what, you know, the infant is experiencing. Mm -hmm. And it is a slippery slope, like they were saying yeah. in the episode, you know, like Munch had brought up. It is a very slippery slope because what is considered life-alteringly painful like who decides that you know is it what the parent wants to deal with well so or is it in september of 2004 dr verhagen along with a committee of doctors lawyers parents and the prosecution office created the Groningen protocol at the university medical center where he worked it gives the criteria that doctors have to mm -hmm. follow to be allowed to perform quote active ending of life on infants without legal action being taken against them the protocol can only be enacted by the mm -hmm. decision of the parents first the infants doctors and social workers agreeing on it. Okay. But only the parents can give the go-ahead on the procedure. Okay. The requirements to end the life of a child under the age of one are, one, the presence of hopeless and unbearable suffering, two, the consent of the parents to termination of life, three, medical consultation having taken place, four, careful execution of the termination. In 2005, the Netherlands became the first country to decriminalize euthanasia for infants if they have a hopeless prognosis and are experiencing unmanageable pain. Restrictions have also been lifted in other countries following the Netherlands. So hmm. to find an actual story of this, like that's the closest thing I could find to someone being held criminally responsible as a doctor for the death of a child in this manner. Yeah. But I think one of the key words in their protocol is unmanageable pain. Right. Yeah. If it's unmanageable, that means that there's no controlling of it medically. Right. What an insane thing for a parent to have to go through. 
no, to right? have to decide. I mean, I can't. Like, the only thing I have to compare to is Marty, which I know is not even on the same level. And that was, like, right. absolutely fucked me up. I can't mm-hmm. imagine with, like, a child. I cannot. No. I cannot. No. That's, like. Well, and, and the thing is, is that. Or even having to decide that for your parents. I can't even imagine that either. But a child that you created in your own fucking guts, like, that's nuts. Well, and it's, like, that. On top of the fact that it's taboo, not only that, but it's also technically not legal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not legal in our country. We don't have abortion anymore. We don't even fucking have abortion anymore. That was the other thing is I was finding so much shit about this and people were trying to compare it to abortion. I'd read an article that seemed based in science until I got to the the hard opinion of it, mm-hmm. which shouldn't be in a, in a scientific document, article, whatever. But it would always come back to comparing it to abortion, which I'm not here to debate, but it's not the same. That was not, you know, what's annoying is that I'm like, that wasn't very funny. That episode wasn't so funny. (laughs) It's like, yeah, Tasha, they're not all fucking laugh riots. Next week, it's season four, episode 15, Pandora, an undercover federal informant who is trafficking internet porn, turns up murdered. The gang finds out about an international case of teen sex trafficking with ties to the Czech Republic. Follow us on all social media at SVU Pod. Become a patron, and there is so much extra shit that you could be getting into. Um, if you're in our Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad, sometimes people will bring up shit that's just in the Patreon, and I'm hoping that brings people to it because there's like shit that I want people to hear. Yeah. Also, yeah, if you're not in the Facebook group, join it. It's fun and free. It's super fun. I love it. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> I'm all over that shit all the time. And it's become like this great little community. Anyway. Rate and review us too. Toss us a couple of stars. Maybe five, yeah, you know? Maybe five. If 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 you're gonna go less than five, then like, I don't know. Mind your fucking business. <laughs> Eat my ass. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> if you have anything you wanna send us, just send it on to SVU Pod, P.O. Box one seventy six, DeForest, Wisconsin, five three five three two. Oh my God, that email from Sapphire, that'll be on the Patreon. I didn't see it. Oh my God. She's sending us snacks from fucking Australia to <gasps> make a video for the that. Patreon. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm so excited. I, I love Australia. That. What a thoughtful thing. Only in Australia would someone do that. Oh man. But yeah, I'm super <laughs> pumped about it. That's it. Love you. Bye. Yeah. Love you. Bye. I have to take out all the fun of my stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, what's wrong with this stupid bitch in her mouth? I'm like, Jesus. You do this. I have to pee. I didn't even right. pee. I just went and dug in the trash and flushed the toilet. Did you wash your hands? <laughs> no. Ew. No, I did. I peed and I... Okay. So they asked him. They asked him. Did you hear that? Yeah. There was an okay at the end of that. <laughs> right? You did it. You Cabot lets did him Cabot tells <laughs> Cabot tells him that the communication Come between your head in my book. Sorry. <laughs> and to our elite squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Marissa M, Elkie H, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Andrew. Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Emily A, Kate H, Uyana, Nicole R, Julia P, Sapphire. Sapphire. 
Kayla, Allison B, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Laura D, Laura I, and Sarah. We love you and appreciate you. We love you and appreciate you. Thank you so much. You're the best. The best. We love our patrons so much. Okay. Okay. <laughs>